Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, March 4th edition of the Basement Academy. Let's take a few minutes together in the gymnasium of the soul, answering a few more questions that have come in, and lifting up our hearts in prayer with a morning psalm. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I love that psalm, the simplicity of it. Sweet reminders that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. That um, that passage that Paul cites in the book of Ephesians that we studied a few weeks ago. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger is how Paul extends it. But then this language of... Uh, filled my heart with greater joy than in the harvest when the grain and new wine abound. And so, Lord, may it be so. Okay, uh, let's, uh, maybe maybe we'll have one more day of uh, Q&A on Monday, but this is pretty much wrapped up uh, the questions. There may be some that come in over the weekend. Um, so the first question is a really good question. I appreciate, I, I didn't really thought about this. Maybe we need to explain this more to the church. Please educate me regarding the church community's purpose and support to the Afghan refugees. So we've been at this five-ish years, maybe. Maybe two, I should know exactly, but roughly in that 2017-ish era, uh, maybe 2018, that we have helped. Now it's somewhere uh, north of 25, like maybe 28 families or so uh, to relocate successfully into this area. Um, simply with regard to the purpose of this, it is to uh, show hospitality to the stranger uh, among us. Uh, that's some biblical language from the Old Testament. Um you know, show, show love and hospitality to the foreigner uh, in your midst. I think the ultimate purpose would be to share the love of Jesus Christ and witness uh, to the gospel and that there would be salvation for these friends. But until then, we want to um, do as the, the righteous sheep did in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. You know, we talked about that um, last week. The call to love the person in front of you, regardless of the need, right? You, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the sheep said, when did we do any of these things? We were just 
loving the neighbor in front of us as you did it to the least of these, uh, my brothers, you did it to me. So there's, there's, th these are the purposes, hospitality, showing love and faithfulness and care for the foreigner in our midst. But the backstory is um, sometime after we'd gotten into our new building, we went back to two services. I went back to teaching a pastor's class. And um, I think this was 2016, I think is when this was going on. And you had the Syrian refugee crisis that was going on. And um, I was just, you know, teaching away. And one of the class members spoke to me afterwards. I had said something to the effect, because somebody had said, well, why would we even help people? Why would we help Syrians come to America? Why, why would we even care about that? It wasn't that harsh, but it, it, it was along that vein in that direction. And I said, well, have we ever considered that God might actually be behind this great migration, as some were talking about it? Um, this, you know, they were, they were flowing into Europe and some were coming over to the U.S., so again, it wasn't Afghan refugees. In that context, it was Syrian refugees. I said, has it ever occurred that God may be getting people from essentially a Muslim country where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not widely preached into Western Christian nations where the gospel is freely preached? And there was like a, huh, never thought about that that God may, this disruption that was taking place might actually be for the purposes of spreading the gospel so that people would come to the United States where there'd be an opportunity for them to hear about Jesus that they might not have to hear about in their own country. And one of the class members afterwards lingered with me and said, you know, maybe we should be prepared and help some of these people if they come our way. And so began a journey of, of discovery <clears throat> and um, one thing led to another led to another and we over about an you know maybe a 12-month period assembled a team of people who were in contact with Lutheran social services and some folks in our own presbytery and ready to receive a refugee family or two from Afghanistan as that war had changed and the Taliban was starting to come against um, those who had, you know, collaborated or supported uh, allied troops uh, through interpretation and the like. And then we found out that, oh, they don't locate refugees this far outside the Beltway, uh, you know, all the way out here in the boondocks, right? So we, we were all dressed up with nowhere to go. And then one Wednesday, I think it was, uh, one of our uh, church members and, and team members received a phone call from Lutheran Social Services. Can you help a family? They're coming Friday. So we had like, you know, less than two days. And that group mobilized, secured furniture, met the family, got their apartment furnished, and thus began a friendship and a relationship and a connection. And that one family has led to, you know, now was it 20, what did I say, 27, 28 families that we have helped. Um, we're helping with English skills, driving, getting driver's licenses, you know, helping to secure employment um, and the like. Now, all of these folks have been vetted. So, so somewhere behind the question, I think, is concerned that, you know, these folks are Muslim and why would we be 
helping. I don't know that that's the concern of the questioner, but this has come to me uh, over the years. Some folks have said, why are we helping these people? You know, because there's a mentality, well, Muslims like blew up our, you know, twin towers and flew planes into the Pentagon. And I, I think that's not the best way to think about what happened on 9-11. And that's certainly not the best way to think about uh, helping these Afghan refugees. Uh, these are image bearers. These are people who bear the image of God, who in our understanding, uh, Christian understanding, have been led astray to uh, not truth, right? Uh, uh, the Muslim religion we do not believe is, is the true religion. And so we have opportunity to bear witness to some of those in God's creation who need to know the Savior. And so, so the purpose is all of that, right? So that's, that's why we continue to do this. I assume this will, you know, kind of, it, it will die off over time as that number of refugees, you know, kind of the, the, the gate will close, the faucet will turn off and these folks won't come. But, but now these families will be here and will be in some kind of supportive relationship over time. And our prayer is that many would come to know the Savior. So, so that's, that's my answer to that question. Um, the, the next question, kind of got it, sorry. Uh, pretty simply, simple, short and sweet, and it's gonna be a short and sweet answer. Regarding singing of hymns, often we stand and sing, but sometimes we sit and sing. We may be sitting and then invited to stand to sing this one. Is there a category of hymns that should only be sung while standing? That's a great question. Um, and this, I recall, we've been doing the hymn sing more frequently. And I remember, oh, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, normally we just sit until the last hymn. So, so the, the, the pattern during the hymn sing is sit, 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 stand. Stand on the last one and sing all the verses because sometimes we don't sing all the verses of, of the hymns, right? And so that's the pattern. I think one day in particular, we were singing, um, oh goodness, what was it? Um, well, it was, it was a great hymn. <laughs> I wanna go, go grab my hymnal. Um, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. I think that's what it was. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. And it just seemed like we should stand for that one. There's something about that hymn that is just the greatness and glory of the name of Jesus. Holy, holy, holy has it. So the short answer is no, there's no particular category other than, you know, certain hymns are sometimes horizontal. They're talking about our love for others, um, you know, uh, our, our lives, our needs, you know, um, but, but then you get a how great thou art, you know, some, some hymns are just very, very focused on the praise and name and glory of God. And so sometimes that's, that's I'll just say, hey, let's stand for this one. Um, but there's nothing official about it. It's all a sense in the moment. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you hear the hallelujah chorus and you stand, right? You know, it's, it's something like that. So a good, 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 good question. Um, Gave me something to think about there. Um, next question has to do with the book of Job. 
where it seems God essentially idly stands back to let Satan ruin Job's life as a test of his faith. Why would we remain faithful to a God that treats us like experimental pets? What an interesting question, way of framing it. Uh, and I appreciate the honesty uh, of, of that. So in the book of Job, if you know the story, um, Job, righteous Job, he's, he's spoken of. Um, there, there's an interview between Satan and God, and God gives permission to Satan to torment Job and test him in some ways. And God says, you know, consider my, my servant Job, you know, he'll hang in there. And, you know, the, the devil does about everything he can. You know, you can't kill him, but, you know, his children, his, his livelihood, his home, you know, all, all kinds of things happen to Job, right? And then he gets covered with sores and boils and his friends come and sit with him and all this stuff. So it's the, it's the, it's the biblical text of what to do in the midst of suffering and how to, how to hang in and remain faithful. Job's wife says, curse God and die. He says, you're, you're silly. <laughs> we receive good from the Lord. Should we not receive evil? Should, should, this, this is life, right? And so, and so how do we stay faithful? And that's, that's the ultimate question. And this is the ultimate um, question that people ask. This is, this is why people dispute and quarrel with God. And I'm thinking people outside the faith. How can you say you believe in a good and loving and powerful God and, and you know, rockets are falling down from Russia on Ukrainian maternity wards and children are being destroyed? How can you say there's a God who, who loves and is powerful? Because no good God would allow these things to happen. And so the presence of human suffering, of evil in the world, um, presents the challenge for the faithful. How do we explain that to others, but how do we endure the suffering? How do we endure the evil of the world when it seems like if God really loved me, then this thing wouldn't be happening with me. And, you know, it does seem like we are lab rats at some point, perhaps. It's not true that we are lab rats. We are uh, freely, you know, in love formed. God has formed us. We bear his image, but we live in a fallen world. And so the presence of suffering in the world reminds us that everything God said in the garden to Adam and Eve was true. That when you rebel, think there are going to be consequences that you are not, you're not going to be ready to, to handle those. We say, well, why did God make it so? God made it so. It, it, it is so. Um, I want to read just a short little excerpt, a little reading. It talks about the Orthodox Church. This would be like the Eastern Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church reads the book of Job, the first of the seven wisdom books of the Old Testament. So you've got Psalms, Proverbs, etc. The first of the seven wisdom books of the Old Testament during Holy Week. So the Orthodox Church reads Job during Holy Week, okay? So from Palm Sunday to, um, to Good Friday and Easter. The Orthodox Church reads the book of Job during Holy Week, drawing a parallel between Job and Christ as righteous men who suffered through no fault of their own. 
God allowed Satan to afflict Job so that his faithfulness would be proven. Christ, the only sinless one, because Job himself was not sinless, right? Jesus Christ, the only sinless one, suffered voluntarily for our sins. The Septuagint text, that's the Greek rendering of the Old Testament, the Septuagint text of Job uh, chapter 42, verse 17 says that Job will rise again with those whom the Lord raises up. This passage is read on Holy Friday, what we call Good Friday, when the composite gospel at Vespers speaks of the tombs being opened at the moment the Savior died on the cross and the bodies of the saints were raised and they appeared to many after Christ's resurrection. <clears throat> and so it's an, it's an interesting text where God raised, so, so upon the, 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 the death of Christ, the tombs were opened. And so there was another resurrection. I have to explore that one also. So how do we stay faithful in the midst of suffering when it seems like God is just messing with us, right? Or allowing Satan to mess with us? And that's, that's the question. How do we remain faithful? Well, we look to the example of Job. We see that it is possible to remain faithful. It is possible not to curse God. It is possible to trust him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, that's <clears throat> Job. Um, one of the ways we learn to stay faithful is we, we, we take the Psalms upon our lips. Hear my cry, O Lord, right? That's, that's the language of the psalmist. There's lament, there's weeping, uh, there's struggle in the midst. And uh, we stay connected uh, to the church community. We stay connected to the sacraments. We come to the table uh, with our own brokenness and suffering and need. But the way we remain faithful is we cling to Jesus Christ, the faithful one, who Job foreshadows the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So Job's righteous suffering. So the, our Orthodox friends have made that connection that Job is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Job, innocent, suffers, right? Jesus Christ, innocent, suffers. So Christ's suffering is a suffering not only for us, for our sins to atone, but he suffers with us. He sympathizes with us. He enters our suffering so that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our brokenness and pain, and Lord, I haven't done anything wrong. Why is this happening to me? That we have one who understands. And um, I believe it's in 1 Peter. I wasn't planning to read this, but it comes to my mind now to, be, to read. <clears throat> First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, the trials, the grief and the trials, these have come so that your faith 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. So the trials come to prove our faith. And so when we find ourselves in those moments, as Job did, as the questioner um, is, to thank God that, that he is close, thank God for Jesus Christ, and that he is present in the midst of our suffering. And Lord, have mercy and purify this faith, strengthen this faith, deepen this faith. Um, and this is, you know, James, count it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. There is something that happens to us in the midst of our trials that redeems, that, that, that um, deepens our, our faith and hope and love. But it's hard, and there's no, there's no getting around it. Job suffered, and, um, and we suffer. And so let's make sure we don't suffer alone. Let's make sure we stay in community, uh, stay connected to the sacraments in particular. Uh, this is a communion Sunday, so let's be in church, uh, or let's be at home with the bread and cup. And so I offer that. And then, and then finally, uh, a question that is going to, I've never thought of this before. And it essentially, what, what would have happened if Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life first instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? So God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one, which implies then that the tree of life was available to have been eaten from. The short answer to this, if they had eaten from the tree of life, then they would have lived forever in that state of innocence. And so perhaps this is why the serpent, there was an urgency to the temptation, perhaps. Again, this is all speculation. But, you know, we read in the text, Genesis 2 and 3, you know, God places Adam in the garden. You know, the woman is, it's not good for him to be alone. The woman is made. And then there are instructions given, any tree but this one. And then the serpent is more crafty. So maybe there was an urgency to the temptation. And of course, you know, he's not tempting them to eat the tree of life. He's tempting them to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And so there's a test, and they fail, and we know the rest of the story. <clears throat> so the, the, the tree of life is presented to us again in the book of Revelation with the, the city and the, the, the river and the 12 trees. It's, it's really 12 trees of life bearing fruit in every season. And so um, hence we live forever, this eternal life. Um, so great question. Um, I, I guess I'll claim at the, at the end of it, Deut Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. It's a great verse to know. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever and ever. And so there are some things that we just will never know and are not intended perhaps to know. Um, and, and maybe this is one of them. So appreciate the, the question and the opportunity to reflect on that. 
Thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, the tree of life is available to us. Now, and we've talked about Christ's death happened on a tree. It had to be a tree because that's where the temptation, you know, that's where the sin occurred on the trees. God uses a tree to bring about redemption. And then it is another tree, the tree of life that we will lay hold of. So there's some uh, very interesting uh, symmetries uh, involved with the, with the gospel story. Uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, hope to see you on Sunday uh, for worship and communion. Uh, we're invited our uh, uh, the general presbyters, we call him John Molina Moore from our presbytery to come be with us and share the morning message. He and I will have a great pastoral conversation about life in the church and interacting with Ephesians 5 and I hope you can join us uh, for Sunday worship. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope we find in Jesus Christ, the mercy we find in Jesus Christ that gives us a heart and hands to extend out to those in great need, Afghan refugees. We pray uh, for the war going on in Ukraine and for the great suffering there. And in the midst of our suffering, Lord, lead us always back to Jesus. In the midst of our suffering like Job, when these seasons come upon us, Lord, hear our cry, hear our prayer, uh, catch our tears. Um, meet us in our anguish. And we thank you, Father, for the tree of life that, that one day we shall lay hold of. Um, and, and when the curse will be removed and there will be no more pain, sorrow, suffering, uh, mourning, or death. And so, Lord, we, uh, we give you thanks for this week we've shared together, offering our prayer in the name of the Savior who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God of hope and comfort and mercy watch over you, keep you, bless you, fill you this day with the very spirit of Jesus now and forevermore. Amen.